Hi, everybody. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Date with Dateline. And guess what, everybody? We're turning 30. Season premiere. In five years. Just kidding. Dateline is turning 30. Amazing. Dateline's 30th anniversary season premiere opening. So exciting. I tweeted, you guys seriously look 22. What's your secret? Oh. They said SPF hydrating. So there you go. Tips from Dateline. I will work on that. And Josh Mankiewicz said, I moisturize. So (laughs) good to know. Always good to know. This episode was quite an opener. Quite an opener. Wow. Well done. Bravo. It's called The Evil That Watches, which is hilarious. I believe we've had The Evil Was Waiting. Sure have. So I think next time is going to be Evil Listens. Oh, that's good. Evil just had their hearing tested at Costco and it heard (laughs) all the beeps. So Evil's hearing is ready to hear things. What about a question? Where is evil? Where is the evil? Where was the evil? Where is the evil? Yep. What about evil touches? No, that's something else. We And we wouldn't cover that episode. But they're all the senses. We're getting all the senses. No, we would not cover that episode. Okay. So this is September 24th, 2021. And like I said, season 30, episode one. Fresh start, you guys. New year, who dis? I'm excited. Also hosted by Keith, our lean king. There we go. Because, of course. Yeah. So we meet a random woman who we'll find out later who she is. Yeah. She tells us the house was 99 and nine tenths filled with love, but then evil entered. And then Keith says, oh, yes, this was evil. Evil that lies in wait and then slinks away the master or mistress of confusion, or the evil that is gender fluid, Keith. Yeah, okay, there, or that. He did not mention that. Okay. And then Keith says that this whole intro is going to take me 20 minutes because he had so many good lines. He did. He says, so go ahead, pick your dream home in that perfect neighborhood. But keep in mind, you cannot pick who will wind up there with you. And I was like, you can't pick who you live with? Okay, so I think we all know what's happening here. This is a haunted house episode. <laughs> Someone is living in the walls and it is a Victorian ghost. Did you see the house? Yeah. What's the first thing that you thought? Haunted. Correct. First thing I thought was there is an old sea captain there and a young <laughs> Miller's daughter. Yeah. They both are cohabiting right now. They're cohabitating in the house. I don't know if they're friendly with each other, but both of those spirits are there. Yeah. No, they don't get along. And you can't choose for them to be there. They just are, is what Keith is telling us without telling us. Keith means you can't pick your neighbors, but the way he phrased it made it sound like you're assigned a roommate by the government and you have no choice in the matter. The way he made it sound is what happens when you move into a house that someone else already lives in, like an angry sea captain from the 18th century who's mad about something. He's mad because there was a lighthouse operator who fell asleep on the job and didn't turn on the light. I don't know how lighthouses work. Sure. And the sea captain crashed into some rocks 
and his whole crew perished. He is super venge. And the miller's daughter fell down in the grain shaft Mm -hmm. and no one could hear her because they were having a summer solstice party on the lawn above. Every day. And so she drowned in the grain bin. I'm not sure if that's the thing, but that happened. It is. I saw 2020 on it, actually, and it was terrifying. Okay, that's awful. I'm sorry. I did not know that was a thing. I'm still traumatized. That was just in my head. So she's there as well. And I don't, I feel like her and the sea captains maybe team up when it's a particularly nasty haunting. I'm not sure. No, that happens on American Horror Stories. Like the ghosts don't really like each other, but they will come together. If they need to, to get someone out. I don't also want to be questioned on the fact that he's a sea captain and we're in Kentucky. I don't really want to talk about that. I just want people to go with the theme. He was original. His people came from Kentucky. And then he had the ocean was calling to him. And so he moved. But when you die, your spirit goes to your ancestral home. Yeah. Did that sound convincing? Yeah. Okay. I think it sounded great. Great. So we're in Pembroke, Kentucky. And I am so glad that I added Dateline Shades the Town at the very beginning because to our bingo cards, because Keith says, it's a curious little place. A town that started grand, but didn't grow. Harsh, Keith. Because of the ghosts? The ghosts stunted the growth of the town. That makes sense. Yeah. He's basically saying this town did not live up to its potential. And it stung to the, they were like, Keith Morrison just mad dissed us on TV. It's cute, actually. I've been there. It's all right. You've been there? Sure have. Interesting. Did you meet any ghosts? Are you sure you want to be asking me that question? (laughs) Sorry, the sea captain's also a pirate. So we meet Matt Phillips. Hey, Captain Phillips. Oh my gosh, it comes full circle. So he says that Pembroke was like 700 people when he was growing up, surrounded by cornfields near an army base. No one locked their doors, very safe. His parents, Cal and Pam, loved their big red house that is filled with ghosts. Mom was a VP of a bank. Cal was retired from the army and was delving into redoing this house. In 2015, Pam is at work, gets a call that Cal missed the delivery of a washing machine that their son Matt had bought for them, which is a very nice gift. I've never bought my parents any large appliance. It's an incredibly nice gift. I feel ashamed. You've never bought your best friend one either. And she would love a new washing machine. Just saying. I have not a laundry machine. I know you don't. (laughs) In my apartment or my apartment building. So I live at the laundromat or I take my laundry to my parents' house, which is embarrassing given my age. You're choosing to stay there, though. At this point, it's a choice. I do like this apartment. So she gets a call. Cal missed the delivery of the washing machine. So she calls Cal. She can't reach him. Then we meet neighbor Marlene, who is super sassy, super Southern. Wow. Can we get more of neighbor Marlene, please? Every episode. All episodes from this whole, this entire season. I would like her to just pop in and yes. give her opinion. She could be the new Mickey, maybe. I just don't want her opinion on me because I don't feel like it would be positive. But I I want her to like me very badly. So Marlene, (laughs) if you're listening, I'm a fan. (laughs) 
So she learned that Cal's dog was dying and then I died and tweeted to Dateline immediately when I saw the preview, please, dear God, don't let this episode be about a dying dog because I can't. It's not. It's about people dying, though. So that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. And I'm just as sad about that. So Cal was devoted to this dog. He's very sick, this dog. Marlene just found out. So she calls Cal and he doesn't answer. So she drives over to the house to give her condolences about the dog. She thought it was a little strange. No, she was worried about him. I think they're friends. And I think she was like, well, if he's there alone, I just let me just check on him. This is the kind of town I feel like people bring you bars for things. Yeah, lots of bars, except they say it differently because it's Southern. Bars. Bars. I'll get to it later. Sorry, and we're talking about baked bars for people that think that we're like, talk, we're not talking about like gold doubloons. <laughs> Bouillon. <laughs> Where's me gold? Okay. <laughs> so she drives over there and we see her standing at the front door of the house showing Keith how the front door was ajar. And both she and Keith are leaning against the house. It's a double lean, a double lean. How else to start off season 30 with a double lean? Hot take, a double lean is better than a double rainbow. There, I said it. It's magic. Do you think people remember double rainbow? Is it forever? I think they do remember. I hope so. Let us know if you don't remember double rainbow. Joni, I'm talking to you. She will. You think Joni was on social media? Ever? Is now? Double Rainbow was like on the news. Question. Do you think Marlene is a fan of Dateline? Yes. Okay. Do you think she knows that Keith leans? Mm, no. Okay. So you think it was on accident? I think Marlene has a bad hip. But certain fans of Dateline might make it so that they could also lean. Right. I would. I'm just saying. Right. I would. It's sort of the Madonna accent thing. Like when you're around someone British and you kind of take on a British accent and you feel stupid, but you can't help yourself. Oh, sure. It's like if you were in the presence of Keith and he was leaning, you might feel your body unconsciously tilt. Oh, speaking of leaning, our dear friend Emily from Keith Leans on Things Instagram account is hugely famous now because when Keith was on Seth Meyers this past week, Seth brought up her Instagram account and showed some pictures. Amazing. Congratulations, Emily. We love you. Round of applause. That's unbelievably well-deserved. Yes. So Marlene figured Cal must be in the back working in the yard. So she drives home. Meanwhile, Pam leaves work early because she's so worried. And on the way home, she calls a neighbor, Ed, saying, I'm really worried about Cal. She gets home. She doesn't see Cal anywhere. She calls Marlene and says, have you seen Cal? Marlene says, no, but the door was ajar and I leaned against it. And Pam says, hang on, I hear something. And then Marlene hears a squeal and Pam never gets back on the phone. And I literally just got goosebumps because it's terrifying. Like, and I've seen this episode. It's so scary. But not ter- not terrifying enough, apparently. This next section is the part where I was questioning Marlene. I needed Marlene to call me back. Because I had questions. Marlene, but you still love Marlene and you want her to like you. 
which is why I feel like she has a really good reason for what happened next. We just don't hear it on Dateline. So I'm going to assume the best. Right. So Marlene is brave. Props to Marlene. She drives back over to the house with her daughter. She goes into the doorway. But then she tells us, I had a chill going up my backbone. Something told me I do not want to be there. So she drives back home. And Keith asks us, did she call the police? And then he answers himself, no, she did not. She didn't think it was like that. To which I said, what did you think it was like? To which I have an answer. Do you get the chills, Marlene? Why did you not call 911? I don't want to Besmirch. beat this into the ground. Yeah. But if she did not think that it was something wrong with her friend, she obviously thought it was something supernatural in the house. Mm. Harkening back to, I got a bad feeling of a spirit and she stepped out because sea captain and or Miller's daughter and or both. So instead of calling 911, who are you going to call? She did some Googling and found a local psychic to come to the house. When there's something strange in the neighborhood. Yeah. Keith says, anyway, which I feel like was kind of shade towards Marlene. He wouldn't dare. He loved Marlene. Anyway, in the morning, everything would be fine, wouldn't it? And then Lester Holt comes on the screen as we go to commercial and he answers. He says, it would not be fine. It's just like, thanks, Lester. I love when the host asks a question and Lester Holt answers it. It's so good. You're setting the ball and then someone's coming in spiking. Yep. Yeah. So the next morning, a call came in to county dispatch. An abandoned car is on fire on the edge of town, which was also the name of a dateline. We have lots of dateline titles in here. It's 30 seasons. I don't know what to say. What do you, it- There are only so many words in the English language. It was the car was so burned that you can't tell what kind of car it was, which is a perfect excuse for car blindness, I have to say. Inside, there are two sets of human remains, which is terrible. The car is registered to Pam, Cal's wife. So police go to Pam and Cal's house. They see blood on the grass. They look around. They find at the foot of the cellar stairs out on the porch, there's like a lift, like a trap door that goes down into the cellar. They find Cal's body and he's been shot multiple times and his face is badly beaten. Outside the house, they find a cell phone and a gun on the grass near the neighbor, Ed Doncero's house. Now, Ed is the neighbor that Pam called on her way home to say, I'm worried about Cal. Mm-hmm. Ed's door is open, ajar, and he's not there. What is happening? I know Matt said everyone kept their door unlocked in this town, but this is not what he meant. This is dangerous. So meanwhile, Ed's girlfriend, Sally, has been trying to reach him. I've never met a Sally besides the one that Harry met. She lives an hour away in Bowling Green. So DNA proves that it was Pam and neighbor Ed in the car. Both of them have been shot. What in the world? I know. So three people now. Yeah. Keith says, as if by some dark wind, the news blew down to Marlene's house. Then we get Marlene again. She says, I was a nervous wreck. 
And my brother said, you need a gun. I don't think I'm doing her accent right. Apologies. But her eyes are huge when she's saying this. And I don't know. I'm sure Marlene has shot a gun before, but Marlene's a little jumpy. Yeah, she shouldn't be around guns. No, she does not. Marlene is going to shoot herself in the foot accidentally if she has a gun. I'm worried. Yes, I'm worried about an accident with Marlene. I want her to be okay. Absolutely. So she goes to the police and she tells them finally about the phone call with Pam and the squeal she heard and how she got a chill, but she left and did not call 911 because she thought it was a ghost. Police think that by not going into the house that day, she literally dodged a bullet. Matt, Cal and Pam's son. Mm -hmm. Sorry, punctuation is important. Matt, comma, Cal and Pam's son, comma, Here's from a friend about what's happening at his parents' house. This part was so sad. He has to go tell his grandparents. Keith is almost crying. It's, we're going to move along. It was really awful. It's really awful. When do we meet Diane? We meet Diane, who is Cal's sister. She's the one at the beginning who said the house was 99 and 9 tenths good, filled with love. So she's sitting with Matt. So we have Cal and Pam's son, and Cal's sister. Right. So his aunt, who now seems like she is his closest family member to him, they seem very tight. Yes. So then we meet this very dapper and dashing reporter, Jeremy Finley, who kind of struts through his newsroom. He says everyone in town was frantic that there was a killer on the loose. Everyone is freaking out. Then Keith says, what is it about humans in little towns or big? An awful event is partially revealed, and sure as there is air, we will grow like weeds in springtime, the most remarkable theories. The more scandalous, the better. So mark off small town gossip mill on your bingo cards. Also mark off full on poetry from Keith Morrison. Yes, absolutely. So Matt and Aunt Diana are hearing all these theories that Ed and Pam were having an affair. And they had Calvin murdered. And Diana is like, are you flipping kidding me? Because she likes to say flipping a lot. She says it at least twice. She's trying not to curse. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't bother Keith because he totally curses later. Spoiler alert. It's amazing. No, don't spoil it. It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. So this theory makes no sense to me because basically Pam and Ed are having an affair They kill Cal and then they shoot themselves and set the car there in on fire. No, I'm so sorry. It didn't make any sense that they were involved in the murder, but I am a horrible town gossip too, apparently, because I was like, oh, they were found in the car together. I wonder if they were having an affair. It's the first thing I thought. So shame on me. No, I mean, I think it's natural. We watch a lot of Dateline. We watch a lot of Dateline. And generally, if two people are found in a car together, it's because there's something illicit going on. Right. But this was a little bit tricky for me. The whole setup of the crimes, like what happened here. We're not there yet. We can talk about it later. But it made sense to me at the time that they would maybe be together. Right. So a few days after the murder, the police are done looking through the house already which is odd because the house is huge, filled with ghosts, and it is very cluttered because Cal was redoing it. There's no way they 
process this house in a few days. They need Yolanda McClary to CSI up in this B because too fast. They need a team of 30. This place was gigantic. So Matt and Diana, they start cleaning up the house and packing stuff up. This is three days after? Yeah. So then a few days after this, the police come back and say, JK, we're not done with the house. We know you've been in here this whole time. We need to test for blood. What? Why? Blood? You do? Okay. So they pull up the floor, like the carpets and the floor and go underneath and they find Pam's blood near the phone when she was on the phone with Marlene and Marlene heard the squeal. Did that make you less mad though? It made me less mad when they pulled, when they were going straight under the floor, when yes. that was the intention of them coming into the house. I was like, okay, we should have led with that. Yeah. So that, yeah, we understood. So then a family friend, but I'm about to get mad again. So then a family friend is sweeping in the kitchen and she finds something, a bullet. Well, then now they give it to the police. Yeah, that's not great. Who did not find it when they searched the house. Also, I want to point out, we see slow-mo of someone sweeping to indicate that someone found the bullet. I don't, I'm skipping ahead to B-roll Bonanza. We have already seen Matt sweeping and Diana sweeping. And now we have a third slow-mo shot of someone sweeping and then finding the bullet. I felt like this was a blood relatives type recurring theme. Sweeping for the truth. Sweeping it under the rug. Sweeping it a clean sweep. Oh, Okay. It has to mean something. What does it mean? Vengeful chimney sweep ghost. Yes. Okay. Chim, chim, and no. Chim, chim, and... <laughs> chim, chim, and no, thank you. <laughs> I think uh, sweeping seems to be therapeutic for Matt and Diana. Cleaning for some people is very relaxing. I hate cleaning. And so I play Best Fiends to relax, and thus my apartment is disgusting. Correct. I'm, excuse. Sorry, you said it. I'm just agreeing <laughs> with you. I'm being a good friend. In Best Fiends, I'm on level 2,104, which is embarrassingly not that much further than I was last time we talked about this. I didn't realize how much time I had been spending prioritizing my actual jobs over playing Best Fiends until our listener, Shandell, wrote me on Twitter with a screenshot of my player card saying I hadn't played in over a week and I was so ashamed. This is like turning into a confessional. I had been wasting my time instead of killing slugs, working. And I'm embarrassed. I let down my Best Fiends friends on Twitter and I'm better than that. And your apartment. Which is still filthy. Which is still filthy. I pledge to you all that I will be at level 2200 by the next time we speak about Best Fiends. I just have to beat a few levels a day in line at the supermarket during commercials whenever you can play super casually. It really is the best match style game out there. Stop crushing the same old candy and get some fiends. They start out as these adorable little babies. And then they're like baby little insects. And then as you play, they grow and they become more powerful. And you know what? So do I. I grow with them. 
My brain is working, trying to use strategy to solve these levels. The levels I'm on now are super challenging. I do love a challenge. I love a puzzle. And there's new content all the time, so you're not going to run out. Everyone, download Best Fiends free today on the Apple Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. It's fiendishly fun. Ooh, you're my best fiend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, are you trying to do an evil laugh? That was my worst evil laugh, but my throat's really scratchy. It was really not good. (laughs) There we go. Oh my goodness, that first one. My throat is so scratchy. I couldn't even attempt it. (laughs) Adam, can we get that first one on like a loop? (laughs) 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 Thank you, best fiends. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, 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 oh. I saw a Santa Claus, a Jewish Santa Claus. It's horrible. So one day, Diana is cleaning and she, Katie's still laughing. One day, Diana is cleaning and she finds a dog tag that the police didn't find. She starts crying because it's her brother's dog tag and she has something of him. No, wait, wait, wait. She finds the dog tag high up on a shelf. She like is putting her hand up on a shelf, which, by the way, you don't do in a haunted house. But that's another story. So then she sees it. And yeah, sorry. Continue. Starts crying. She's like, oh, my God, my brother's dog tag. She's so moved. Then she shows it to Matt and he says, Aunt Diana, you need to get your glasses on. And we go to commercial. And it was so dramatic. Did it go to a Warby Parker commercial? No, but that would be amazing. That would have been really good. Lens crafters. Yeah. Yeah. So it turns out the dog tag isn't Cal's. It's Kit Martin. Kay Scandalik, but also who is Kit Martin? Christian Kit Martin was another neighbor of Pam and Cal's. Kit was an army helicopter pilot. Not Christian as he is a Christian whose name is Kit Martin. Kit is short for Christian, which took me a good few minutes to figure out, to be honest. (laughs) His name is Christian Martin. His nickname is Kit. Kit is an army helicopter pilot. He was a major. And in the old photos we're seeing of him has huge Lisa Renna lips. But then we meet him on Dateline and he has nice normal sized lips. They're covered with some gray facial hair. And I thought he had quite the glow up on Dateline. I thought he had some big daddy energy and I liked it. Unless, of course, he's a murderer, in which case I will probably pass. I'm sorry, what is big daddy energy? Do I want to know? It's like a daddy. Is that a meme? It's like an older, hot guy. Where are you getting that? Society. An older, hot guy. Big daddy energy? Yeah. I don't think that means what you think it means. Get with the times, Katie. Uh, no, I'm dead serious. I think that means something that you that is not correct. You've never heard someone be like, oh, he's a daddy. Yes, I have. Not coming from you. <laughs> coming from someone like Jonathan Venice. <laughs> Does that help? I quote Jonathan Venice all the time. So it makes perfect sense. Strugs to funk. Oh, I'm everyone's upset. All right, go ahead. Not everyone, just me and whoever's in this room with me. See, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> the sea cap's like arg big daddy energy what is upset? that <laughs> <laughs> so kit sits down with keith and he's in normal clothes but with a big cross around his neck and we spend the rest of the episode trying to figure out if he's in prison or not 
Dateline could be tricking us. Yeah. Kit lived with his wife and her three kids right across the street from Ed and diagonal to Cal and Pam. He liked the neighbors. His wife, Joan, said that Cal and Pam became like family. She's being interviewed by a local reporter shortly after the murder, not on Dateline. And then it took me a second to realize that this is the dapper reporter who has also had quite a glow up. It did. I did not recognize him. Oh, I recognized him. Well, I didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. So. Sorry, I'm just proud. That's fine. <laughs> Kid and Joan impressed people. The reporter tells us she is beautiful. He was a big time major, but appearances can be deceiving. Kit tells Keith that Joan had been acting strangely, getting into a lot of fights. She said he was angry. He said she was untrustworthy. They're both saying bad things about each other. They fought. They were going to get divorced and they each get a restraining order against each other. Joan and her kids had nowhere to go. So Cal and Pam invited them to stay with them. And then they got her into a rental house that they owned. They loaned her a car. They were really helping her out. Why can't they stay in the big yellow house across the street? I had the same thought and felt like that wasn't very nice of Kit, even though he probably bought the house and it's his house. But he doesn't have three kids. He doesn't have three kids. So I thought it was kind of shady, but he must have really not liked Joan. We also don't know how long they've been married. Correct. We're not given a ton of info on that. I don't believe they were married for a long time. I think it was, oh, I think he said they never really spent a lot of time together because he was always on mission or right and stuff. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of their first time living together and they hated each other. So, oh boy. Cal's sister Diana heard about how Cal and Pam were helping her out. And she was worried. She thought it was going too far because there is this extra favor that Joan wants from Cal. Joan asked Cal, and it wasn't a booty favor. I thought it was then too. Boy, I'm just, I'm all over the map. I apologize. (laughs) So Joan asked Cal to help her get her things from the house that Kit was living in. So they go over when Kit's not there. Joan is picking up a box of quilts and finds a laptop and a bunch of CDs that say secret and secret operations. Very mysterious. I don't know if you label CDs secret. If there are secrets on them, I think you label them confidential tax forms. Something boring. Oh, something boring. Yeah. So hold on a second. This was a weird moment because it took me my second watching of this to realize that she is actually telling this story on the local news. Right. Finding confidential documents that belong to her husband. Mm -hmm. Why are you telling the local news? Why are you telling that business? She does not like Kit. Yeah, apparently so, because that's that's not cool. Cal sees this and says, these belong to the army. You need to return these. Even a major like Kit should not have this in his house. This is super against the law. So Diana, his sister, says, don't get involved in this, but it's too late. Cal takes the laptops and discs home with him, calls a colonel, perhaps mustard, who tells him to turn the stuff over to the FBI. So Cal does it. The FBI gives the stuff to the army and the army starts investigating. And that was the worst thing that could happen to Kit because now he's going to be in big trouble. Does Cal not like Kit? 
We're led to believe that Cal doesn't like Kit because at this point you would think that he would go straight to Kit and just confront him and be like, why do you have these? Explain this to me. It's interesting because I think he did like Kit a lot, but I think he was starting to side with Joan because Joan was telling him all this horrible stuff about Kit. But also I think when you have this code from the army. From army? you It's from army. These are my awards, mother, from army. And- that supersedes any sort of like bromance or friendship. You just on below deck, there was a situation with Hannah and some Valium and Malia said maritime law says that I report this. She did not go to Hannah first. She went to the captain and Hannah got fired and it was a big deal because maritime law says that you have to, even though she was friends with Hannah, but not really. She was trying to get her fired. Anyways, clearly. Clearly, that's my exact reasoning is that, Kimberly, if you and I are on below deck, I'm coming to you and being like, why do you have whatever contraband you have? Per Malia and Captain Sandy, we do not like, she, they both say maritime law says literally if something happened in the middle of the night, a guest went overboard, anything, and they drug tested the crew and someone was on drugs that hadn't been reported, Captain Sandy would lose her license. And she's been boating forever. So like, you can't even take a risk like that. You have to go automatically to report it. Why wouldn't you still say to your other person, hey, can you go report this to the captain so she's not liable? Right. Yeah, you would think. It's caused a lot of boycotting of the most current season of Below Deck. A lot of people are refusing to watch because they don't like Malia and Captain Sandy. You're you're not refusing. You're watching on the sly and pretending online like you're not. I am not going to (laughs) say. You're declining to state. This is it all. I'm pleading the fifth. You could say no more. Like someone will later in this episode. And it's going to be and it's just as infuriating as it is later in this episode when someone does that. I am thoroughly enjoying Watch What Crappens podcast review of Below Deck because they do all the accents and it's really fun. Oh, that's fun. But anyways, you see what I'm saying, right? That it it very much feels like Cal does not respect or like Kit to not go to him and be like, is there a reason you have these? Right. Did Army give these to you to take home for a take home project? Right. A take home final. So, right. Right. Are you? (laughs) So Cal, there's more, though, that can get Cal in trouble. I mean, Kit in trouble. Sorry, it's confusing. We have Cal and Kit. And Keith. So Cal tells army investigators about a photo he saw that Joan had showed him of bruises on the back of Joan's son's back, on his back. And she says, Kit did it. So Kit can get charged now with like government secrets, basically, like mishandling confidential army secrets and abuse of a minor. And Kit kept these pictures that he had taken as proof of what a child abuser he is on his confidential secret CDs? No, these were separate. That's not clear. I think that these were separate. Joan had the picture and Joan showed it to Cal, I believe. I don't think this was part of the secrets operations. Got it. So... Kit, if Kit gets charged with all this, he could go to jail and lose his entire career. But the trial gets put off and put off and put off for about three years. Finally, the trial is about to start 
just days before the trial and Cal is going to testify against Kit, Cal is murdered. So now we're back at the present. Hmm. So was Cal murdered because he was going to testify against Kit and is were Ed and Pam just collateral damage? Also a Dateline title. That was the Nexium episode. Oh. So now we're three years past when Joan and Kit broke up and the court martial process started. Now Kit has a new live-in girlfriend, Laura. Fiance. Sorry, fiance. She also has kids of her own. He likes the women with yes. children. He likes single moms. Good for, thank God. They are heroes. God bless the single moms. So she, the fiance hears the police break a window downstairs. She thinks she's about to be murdered by the same person who killed Cal. Oh yeah, I would. But she goes outside. The police are there with guns pointed at her. They're there to search Kit's house because they are now looking at him for the murder of Cal. So Kit says, check my house surveillance footage. You can see me coming home from work and you can see me the night of the murder. I don't leave the house. I'm not seen on the camera. More on that later. So plus Laura, the fiance, says he was home with her all night. He also says, I wasn't worried about the trial. I'd had no reason to kill Cal. I was going to be exonerated. Also, I never hit Joan's son. I don't know what that photo was. I did not take, I don't even know what happened there. He says, I never took home the laptop and those secret discs. Joan must have stolen them to get back at him. He says, look at Joan. This is getting bananas, B-A-N-A-N-A-S, because, wow. Joan, we find out, has her own secrets. We meet private investigator Mary Martin's no relation to Kit Martin. He hired Mary during the whole divorce court-martial thing to find out dirt on Joan. He wants to prove that Joan is not credible and should not be a witness against him at the trial. So Mary looks at Joan's previous partners. She had told one of her children that his dad died in a logging accident but that was a lie. The dad lives in Oregon. What is that? I know, but at least Oregon logging, it kind of seems to make sense. Oh my gosh. She mm-hmm. then had claimed that the other father of her kids were was violent. Mary goes to him. He completely denies it. Here's the huge shocker. They're still married. Joan is still married to one of her children's fathers, meaning... Her marriage to Kit was illegal and she's a bigamist. So when Kit finds this out from his private investigator, Mary, he turns her into authorities and she's charged. She pleads guilty to bigamy, but she doesn't serve any time because it was her first offense at bigamy. Was she on the run from her? Was this a sleeping with the enemy type situation? Very interesting theory. I did not think of that. Mary, the PI, thinks that Joan uses men to get what she wants. And it appears she may have had a new man that she was using. At least the local rumor mill says that. So police around town had told Kit that Joan and Cal are having an affair while she and Kit were still together. So first the rumor was that Ed and Pam were having an affair. And now the rumor is that Joan and Cal were having an affair. Two witnesses told Mary, the PI, that they observed the affair in action. I do not want to know what that means. 
Dear God. What does that mean? I would like details so I understand if what they really meant. Did you see them just together at Home Depot? Were they kissing? I hope it wasn't more than that. Didn't we have an episode where someone saw somebody else in an exterminator truck in the, the throes of an affair? It seems right. Yeah, I think we did have that. So Joan denies the affair and others in the town say Cal would never do that. In 2015, this is before Cal was murdered. And I was very confused about the timeline here. So I did tweet to Keith and Dateline to find out the exact timeline. And Keith wrote- You did not tweet Keith. I did. I was, I said, amazing episode. I was confused about one thing because it has to do with theory of mine. When Mary goes to interview Keith and secretly records him. No, no, no. Interviews Cal. Sorry. Interviews Cal before he was murdered. How soon before he was murdered? Because Keith just says leading up to the trial. Ah. And so Keith said it was a couple weeks, I believe he said. Ooh. Okay. That's important. Yeah. So Mary goes to record Cal. She's secretly recording him. He talks. He loves to talk. He talks about his dogs. He's so proud of his dogs. It's adorable. Then Mary tells him the army is investigating Kit and they think that you're having an affair with Joan. And Cal says, "Okay, so what? So the answer. So yes. So yes. Right. Or is he such a I don't care what people think about me that it doesn't even matter. No, because if the answer was no, then the response to that question would have been, okay, so what? I'm not, but what if I was? Right. He at no point says, I'm not or no. I feel like as a good family man loving his wife, he would say, that is so not true and hurtful for my wife, you know, or something like that. Well, anything other than what he said, which is... Which is strange, yeah. Which is not no. Yeah. In any sense. It's never negative. It's always maybe... Maybe. I don't know. I know I am. But what are you like? Kind of, you know. So she says, well, it doesn't look good if you are having an affair and you're both involved in this investigation into her husband. People will assume. And he says, that's fine. Does he just not care or is he actually totally having an affair with Joan? So Mm. he doesn't really answer. Mary brings up Joan's bigamy and Cal laughs, which is strange also. It's hard to tell if he's sort of what his reaction is to that, which becomes very important later. Yeah. Mary says, you know, it seems like she uses a lot of men and maybe she's using you too. And he says, no one wants to think they're being used. That's insulting. And if, but if it's true, she'll pay a price. So it does kind of seem like he's now thinking maybe he is being used by Joan. Also that he has something on her that he can make her pay a price with. Yeah. He holds something over her Mm -hmm. that she wants. Mm -hmm. So Cal says, I never saw the abuse. I only saw the photo. But the son had told me that Kit had abused him. He says, I don't know what I believe. Like maybe the son was lying. I don't know. And when they ask him what he's going to say at the trial that's coming up, he says, I'll say it on the stand. I'm not going to say it here. It's very interesting. When Kit hears these tapes that his PI recorded, he thinks it means, or at least he tells us that he thought it meant that Cal had turned on Joan and is going to testify against Joan and like in favor of Kit, basically. Where are you getting that? 
where am I getting that or where did Kit get that? Where'd Kit get that? Well, that's why I'm saying it's very strange. But this is what the whole crux of it is. If Kit really did believe that, then he has no reason to kill Cal. But if he's just saying that now, so it makes him have no reason to kill Cal. Does it seem like he really believes that? The part about if it's true, she'll pay the price makes me think that we also are not hearing the whole tape and there's several interviews. So there could have been more that gives Kit that impression or he's saying that that's what he believed now. So he will have had no motive to kill Cal. I did not get the impression that he was going to flip, but I didn't get the impression that he wasn't going to flip. It's not clear to me. Okay. And it's so important. It really is. But Cal is so vague and like, I'm not going to say what I'm going to say on the trial, you know? But this is what's so weird is how sure Kit seems. Right. That like, did you hear it? It was like, how could you not hear it? He was, mm-hmm. he was on my side. He was going to be the best evidence I had. Of course, he has to sound that sure to make him not have a motive. I don't know how to put it. It just, I believed him, I guess. That he believed it. Yeah, he does sound extremely sure. Yeah. So he thinks that maybe Joan had figured out that Cal had turned against him and was going to mess up the court martial case. And that would ruin her plan at getting back at Kit. So she decided to kill Cal, which is kind of weak. Why wouldn't she just kill Kit if she wanted to get back at him? But she would kill Cal because he was not going to help her in this court case anymore. Because it makes it seem like all of the evidence turned on Cal. So if Cal was against Kit in the court martial in that trial, Mm -hmm. if Cal went against Kit, it would be that Kit was going to get sentenced. It was going to be a huge problem. But if Cal went for Kit... Mm -hmm then it was going to be that he was totally exonerated. They made it seem like it all balanced on him. And for some reason, Joan really needed this trial to go through and for Kit's life to be ruined. Right. And we do hear later um, during the trial, but I cut it out, that like wh- the guy who was prosecuting the case said that Cal really was the star witness because he would be taken seriously as an army man himself to speak about this other army man and what he had done. So it did kind of hinder on him. Also, because he doesn't have a grudge against Kit, his testimony might be taken more seriously, I think. Whereas Joan, well, she's just a scorned woman. Like maybe she is making all this up. And not military. And not military. So Cal really was needed to be this witness. Also, if she if he turns on Joan, that makes Joan look like a huge liar, disgraced, you know, Yes. So that's not good for her. Yeah, it makes her look awful. Right. So there's another strange thing with Joan that I did not understand at all. She had found a cell phone in her yard, and there's a video of her a month after the murders going into the phone store, trying to get the employees to tell her who the phone belonged to. And it turns out it's Pam's phone. So the manager realizes it's Pam's phone. Pam has been murdered. He calls the police and they say that Joan hightailed it out of the store really fast. Why does she have possession of Pam's phone? My question is, if she had murdered Pam, wouldn't she know that that was Pam's phone? Or was it like hidden in the grass for a long time and then 
found it. Right. Is it something that like fell out? Or is she trying to like have access to the phone and she she just pretends she needs them to tell her who it is, but really she wants access? Yeah. So there's two things that could be happening here. Number one, my thought was, oh, she was trying to get them to jailbreak the phone. Right. But they won't do that, especially if they find out it's Pam's. And she's not Pam. She's not even a relative of Pam's. She doesn't know that. She doesn't know that they can maybe see whose it is. Well, that's stupid. Or that like, maybe she can play it off that she doesn't know who that is. And she just came into possession of this phone, not thinking that they would call the police, which they absolutely did. Whatever she was doing, it was shady enough they called the police. They called the police at the store. I think it was more... Do you think they called the police because there was a woman turning in Pam's phone or the fact that it was just Pam's phone and Pam had been murdered and everyone knew Pam had been murdered? Maybe that guy, did that guy know that Pam had been murdered? Does everyone in this town know each other? Everyone in the town knew Pam had been murdered. Yeah, 700 people in the town. Okay, so yes, yeah, so, so he knew. This is a very strange thing, but it, it makes her look bad. It does make her look bad that she has it. It makes her look horrendous. Also, she was living at the rental property at the time. Yeah. Which I don't even know how close it was to Pam's and Cal's house. There's no reason why she should be in possession of Pam's phone. Yeah. Other than it fell out like she like maybe she had taken her purse and it fell out on the yard at some point when she was bringing the purse up to the house after she killed her. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? There's mm-hmm. no reason that makes her look not guilty for having the phone. Yeah. That's why it's such a big deal. So when you said, why is it a big, it's a huge deal for her to have that. Yeah, I just don't get it. Like, I just don't get what she's trying to do. And I don't get. I think she either doesn't remember that that's her phone or doesn't know what Pam's phone looks like. So genuinely maybe thinks she found a phone or she doesn't know that they'll be able to see who's who it actually belongs to. Yeah. Now, if she's innocent, Why does she have this phone? Correct. That's a great question. I don't know. She's still friends with Pam and Cal at this point. She's friends with Cal. Right. She friends with Pam? I don't know. Pam had used her phone to call Cal on the way home from work. So Pam is the last one who had Pam's phone when she was murdered. So why would she have the phone? Oh, boy. So... Months pass after the murders. Matt and Diana keep packing up the house. If you think you know what's about to happen, like maybe there's more evidence that the police didn't find, you would be right. So they are cleaning. Diana finds a shell casing. Another thing that the police missed or maybe something else that we'll get to later. That the sea captain is shifting in the night. He is moving objects around to mess with people's heads, clearly. Yeah, he's angry. Yeah, and what else do you do if you're a ghost besides mess with the living people? Like, you're bored. You totally would move things around. They're coming back again. You, The house has been yours. It's been vacant. You've been very happy with yourself. And then these two people come back in again with their brooms. You're tired of it. They're just sweeping all the time. Yeah. Ghosts like dusty floors so they can leave mysterious footprints in the dust. Correct. And if you sweep, you're ruining the whole vibe. So when prospective buyers come, they come in and see footprints in the dust and they say, no, thanks. We'll go to the next one now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Creaky doors, dusty floors. That's the ghost <laughs> mantra. Keep the people out. Okay, good. 
So they hope, Diana and Matt hope that this shell casing will be the thing that solves the case. But police are no closer. Joan apparently has an alibi, which I would love to hear more about, but we do not. Even Jeremy, the local reporter who's very fashionable, is stumped. He doesn't know who did it. He's still fashionable, though. Do you know what happened at this point? No. Okay. Also, I do want to note that that 45 shell casing that was found near the cellar door, it's not like it's out in the open. You see it and there's like papers cover under a magazine or something. There's stuff around it. So CSI cannot lift up a magazine to look for something. That's what's odd is that the the places that they're finding things are like the main point in the house where she was on the phone when the phone went dead. They find blood and they find the dog tags in that room. And then they find the shell casing at the place that they knew he was thrown into the cellar. Right. Although the other bullet was in the kitchen. True, was it? But it wasn't the same shell casing, right? I think it was from the same kind of gun. Oh. So the military trial finally happens. This is after the murders. Kit is found guilty, even though Cal is not there to testify. He is guilty of holding on to classified secrets at home and the abuse. He loses his career. He loses his pension. He serves three months in prison. However, he... White men rise up again. So he finds a job as an airline pilot because apparently the airlines will hire anyone to be a pilot, even people who kept state secrets. I don't know. Sorry, what's an American airline subsidiary? I don't know what it is. Just a smaller airline that they own that doesn't have a name. Is it Spirit? No, Spirit's too big. Is it Frontier? No, I think that's too big. I think it's way smaller. Like we've never heard of them. So Kit moves to North Carolina with his fiance Laura, and her kids. But he's also, sorry, he's also disgraced from his lifetime of service. Correct. So it's not a small thing. No, but he's still able to get a job with people's lives in his hands as a pilot. Do people have confidential secrets? Also child abuse. Was he charged on the child abuse? Yes. That's bad. Then I don't know. Laura says she could have left Kit, but she doesn't because he's a great guy and she doesn't believe any of the charges against him. Sorry, Laura is his fiance for people that don't remember. We see her like three times. It's hard to remember her, but she is very wide eyed and upset. Yeah. Meanwhile, Ed's girlfriend, Sally, is hounding the police for answers. And so are Matt and Diana. They want answers for Cal and Pam. I hope the three of them are friends. I think so. Diana and Matt put up a billboard for $100,000. They write letters to anyone that they can think of. They give interviews on TV. Two years after the murders, they get the state's attorney general to take up the case, which is huge. And it's not going to be on the state level, but still nothing happens. So it's almost been four years since the murders. In 2019, Matt gets a call from the attorney general's office saying, I need you to leave your house in 30 seconds. Get in your car, get on the freeway, going in a direction you don't normally go. So Matt grabs his phone, a charger, and a gun. So dramatic. It's so dramatic. If you got this phone call, what would you take with you? Oh my gosh. I first thought my cell phone, my charger... And my chili pad. Oh, that's very smart. I was going to say my cats, but. 
Mm-hmm. I think that Oliver might choose the chili pad over the cats. Yeah, I it makes sense. Chili pad has literally changed my life. Normally in the summers, I do this horrible sleepy time dance where I try to sleep in my bedroom. I start crying because it's so hot in there. I go lay on the couch by the wall AC, toss and turn because I can't sleep out there, then go back to the bedroom and the dance continues. Did you know that only 44% of Americans report a restful night's sleep almost every night? This was me before I got Chili Sleep's Uller system. It's a hydro-powered, temperature-controlled mattress topper that keeps your bed at the perfect temperature to fall asleep, to stay asleep, and you can even set it to warm up and so it in the morning and it naturally wakes you up. And you can set it all on your app on your phone. Thanks to Chili Sleep, I have spent every summer night in my bed the whole night. Even last week when it was 97 degrees in September. I am now one of the 56% of Americans who gets restful sleep and I have the energy during the day to mock the other 44%. No, I don't mock. I say get chilly sleep. Yes. I cannot wait to use it during the winter to keep my bed toasty. I'm going to use this all year long because I invested in my sleep and I know Oliver loves his. He just told me about the warm-up alarm. The warm-up alarm, yeah. He says it's like the nicest kind of alarm, but it totally works. Yeah. It sounds incredible. Also, by the way, I will be using it in the winter. Okay. Let me be very clear. I cannot wait for the toasty bed of toast. No, because you run more cold. So this is going to be game changer for you. I want to be a Katie warm buttered tortilla. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Tortilla. Yes. Buttered tortilla. I'm the butter. <laughs> Head over to chillysleep.com slash date dateline to learn more and save 20% off the purchase of any new sleep system. This offer is only for a limited time. That's chilly, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com slash date dateline to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day. Thank you, Chilly Sleep. You're my boyfriend. You're super cool. And warm. Uh, And warm. And hot. You're cool and you're hot, just like the Fonz. I love you, Chili Sleep. Hey. <laughs> Katie, can you tell us about BetterHelp? I surely can. And I think that we have a few people in this episode that could definitely use the services that BetterHelp provides. Mm-hmm. If you're going through a hard time, I don't need to be more specific than that. I think everyone out there knows what I'm talking about. I was going through a hard time and I knew that I just needed a little bit of help. So it was time for me to seek out the services of our great partners at BetterHelp. If you're feeling like that's your time too, then rest easy. BetterHelp will help assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, all from the comfort of your own home. You can start communicating in under 24 hours and you can send a message to your counselor at any time. I know that when I message my counselor, I get super timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions that have really been helpful for me. BetterHelp is committed to creating great matches between you and your counselor, but they also make it very easy to change counselors at any time for any reason at all. 
Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. The BetterHelp licensed professional counselors are specialized in all kinds of areas like depression, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, LGBTQIA plus matters, grief, self-esteem, and anything you share with your counselor is completely confidential. They're convenient, they're professional, they're affordable. Need I say more? I have a question. If you are a seafaring ghost, will they help you? I would say check out their testimonials. There might be some ghosts. You'd be surprised. In fact, so many people and ghosts have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Oh, start living a happier, healthier life today. And as a listener, you can get 10% off your first month by just visiting betterhelp.com slash dateline. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash date dateline for 10% off your first month. Because we could all use a little better help. I see a ghost. Help. Help. Thank you so much. I need somebody. Help. Not just There's anybody. a seafaring captain in my house. <laughs> Thanks, BetterHelp. Thank you, BetterHelp. So the attorney general's office tells Matt, you need to flee because we're finally ready to arrest Kit. But when we went to his house, he was not there. Guess where he is? He's in, I'm going to try, Louisville. Louisville. There you go. Louisville. Louisville, which is where Matt lives. So Matt drives to a hotel, which is great. And what we always say to do, don't we? If you can afford it, I know that's privilege speaking. Go to a hotel if you can. Don't go to anywhere where you know anyone. And yeah, he was smart. He's terrified. But so the police are in an all out frenzy looking for Kit. But hilarious part is that Kit totally unawares. Like, no idea that people are looking for him. He's just in Louisville because he had flown a plane of people there for his job as a pilot. He has no idea. Was this a miscommunication? Why are they so... Or I think they're just... They're, that's their job to be that serious about this. But, like, don't they know he's there? Can't they check with his the airline to see that he's just there in a job? Yeah, he's not a fugitive. He's not running from the law. He's just doing his job which allows him to fly to Louisville. So the next day, they also, he has no motive to kill Matt other than like spite, I guess. So they show up at the airport the next day when he's going to fly home and they swarm and they arrest him. It's very dramatic. And the families of the victims are shocked because they didn't even know that Joan has been cleared, which I'm still very suspicious about. We'll get to that. Yeah. So Kit's defense attorney sits down with Keith. He says the reason it took them four years to charge Kit is because they didn't have a case and they still don't have a case. And why did they arrest him now out of nowhere after four years? It was because of the political pressure being brought on by the family on the attorney general and the police to finally solve the case. Now, were you thinking there was going to be some shocking evidence reveal right now? I should have known better because I watch a lot of Dateline. But yeah, I was. I was like, oh, they must have gotten some new information. Agreed. I thought the same thing, though. I was also fooled. 
So the trial starts. Kit is the one that had the motive, they say. He wanted to silence Cal from testifying. So he shot him, pushed him into the cellar. Then when Pam came home, he killed her and Ed, the neighbor, came over to help and he was shot. Can I make a quick statement? Yeah, because I have a question, too. Okay, he was guilty in his court martial. Yeah. Even without Cal. Right, because Cal was dead. So apparently Cal wasn't the whole crux of the the whole court martial. At all. Right. They could do it without him. What's your question? My question is, there is a quite a long period of time between when Cal is murdered and Pam is murdered because she calls him multiple times. Maureen goes over. There's a lot of stuff that happens before Pam comes home and is murdered. So why is Kit just waiting there to kill Pam? Why doesn't he just leave after killing Cal? What time does Marlene call him the first time? What time is the first time someone calls him? Sometime. Well, first of all, he misses the delivery appointment. What time is the delivery appointment? Well, Pam left home work early. So I'm assuming it was sometime in the morning, late morning or early afternoon. And then Maureen called him. Then she went over there. Pam called him. No one's answering. Pam calls on the way home, doesn't answer. She goes home. Cal's not there. Murdered. I have to think it's at least a couple hours. So the question is, did he miss the delivery appointment because he was dead or did he just forget and was like out in the backyard? Well, no, he was he missed it because he was dead. Okay, so what time was the delivery appointment? Even if it was like five o'clock. It wasn't five o'clock because Marlene did not. This was not all in the last hour where Marlene, she's calling Marlene to go over. These are hours apart. So I'm saying there's at least several hours between when he was murdered and Pam was murdered. So why did the killer wait? And I'm saying you're I'm trying to make it even longer where I think the delivery of the washing machine was like at 11 a.m. Right. And so they would have waited at the house from 11 a.m. Until five o'clock at night. When anyone could come by and find them there. Anyone. Or, I mean, he is the neighbor. Maybe he just popped back home and then popped back when he saw Pam was coming home. But why? Why go risk all this to kill Pam? And then when Ed interrupts, he kills Ed. But why did Pam have to die? Like, why couldn't he have just left the crime scene? And he had several hours. Like, I don't understand. Does it have to do with his wanting to be seen on surveillance, like coming home from work? <gasps> yeah. What? Okay. Okay. What? If, okay. What if? This is a water shoes moment, everybody. It's not, but it's good because I still think we're not getting all the information. So I could be totally off here. But think about this is what does work because you're right. Why in the world would you come back unless you had forgotten something that you needed to pick up and Pam surprised you by coming in and you were there to get something? Or what if you were going back to plant evidence and she walked in? Why wouldn't you have planted it when you were first there to do the killing? No idea. So maybe you forgot something. So did he forget his dog tags and was going back to look for them? But how would they wind up on a shelf unless... They had been placed there. Unless they had been yanked off? They don't wind up on an upper shelf if they're yanked off. I have absolutely no idea. Unless they were like yanked off and flung in the air. 
Is it to establish his alibi? Like, did he have an alibi while he was at work? Was he at work? Was he at work? What did he work? He doesn't work. No, he was still working at that time. He was still allowed to work because he was arrested later at the base after Cal was murdered. So he was still able to work before the court martial trial. So was he at the on the base that day? So then he must have been seen or surveillance footage or something if he was Cal was killed during the day. We see Kit's alibi as at night when he's coming home from work and then that he stays in the whole night. So they seem to think the murders happened at night. How would they have possibly happened at night when he's not answering phones? Marlene is doing the driving over. Nobody's there. And the washing machine appointment was late, was like in the evening. And she hears the eep on the phone. And if she was eep on the phone, that means she was getting attacked. And the person who was attacking her clearly knew she was on the phone and that the person on the other end may call the police. Mm hmm. Unless they're in on it. Marlene is in on it. I don't. Do you see what I'm saying? Did you just accuse Marlene? I absolutely did not. But do you understand? Do you see what I'm saying? Where if you were going to murder someone and then you grab them from behind when they're on the phone and they go and they make a noise, you would assume that the person on the other end may be concerned and would either be coming over or would be calling the police. But that's why they leave right after. I'm wondering why they didn't leave right after after killing Cal. I'm saying that they le- they did leave and then they came back because they forgot to do something or left something there. They were not supposed to come back. Pam was not supposed to die. I mean, Pam did leave work early to come home. So maybe they were expecting her to come home later. She did. So they weren't expecting her to be home. So they were either cleaning up or doing something, hiding some sort of evidence or leaving evidence or picking something up that they forgot. They were not supposed to be there and neither was Pam. Yeah, maybe. But I don't know why Pam was held for hours before she was taken to the location where her body is found. Well, because she was killed when she was on the phone. So they are worried the police are going to come right over. So then they go home, they wait, they see no police are coming. And then in the middle of the night, they go and they put Pam and Ed's body in the car and then drive the car to a remote location, which we're going to get to later in the trial. But wouldn't you also think at this point in time that the longer time goes on, the more people are going to miss these two and call for a wellness check? Yeah, but probably not in the middle of the night. I guess that's a risk they took. But why, though? Why leave Cal's body there and then move these other two bodies to create confusion? It worked. (laughs) To quote Clue, I, yeah, why not just leave all three bodies there? You know they're going to be found eventually. I mean, Cal's body was kind of hidden in the cellar. Why not put all three bodies with Cal? Great question. Oh, I have so many. Okay. Yeah. Did you ask Keith about that? No. Okay. So a detective analyzes Kit's phone and shows that it wasn't in use during the murder. Well, when was the murder, man? When's the murder? What time period are you talking about? I think they mean Pam's murder specifically, because that's the one they know the time of. What time do they know? They know. We don't know what time they know, but they know the time because Maureen told them what time she was on the phone with Pam. So whatever time that was, they know that time. I'm guessing five five o'clock 
Yeah. What time do banks close? She's a VP of a bank. But then she said she left early. She left an like an hour early, maybe, let's say. Four, between 4 and 5.30. I would guess. Okay. So a detective analyzed the phone. He wasn't using his phone in the time of the murder. But afterwards, he goes into his alarms app because they can tell that. And he set an alarm for 1.10 a.m. So what do you mean he wasn't using his phone? It was completely dead off to the world? Wasn't texting, wasn't calling. I don't think it was off. Well, then so what? So he wasn't texting or calling people. Were a lot of people texting and calling him during that time? Maybe. It's very popular. I don't know. He's has big daddy energy. Oh, barf. But you see what I'm saying, right? Maybe it was off. I don't know. Maybe it was off. But then it can't be off if he's going in and setting an alarm. No, after the murder, the time of the murder, they see him go in and set an alarm. So I would love it if they had said he turned on his phone and set an alarm, but we don't hear that. That's why I wanted to know. Okay. So they think that this alarm was set to remind him to get up and move Pam's car away with the bodies to burn it at night. Why? We still don't know. Absolutely not. To create confusion. Sorry, you're going to fall asleep after doing all this? Maybe. You're just going to go night-night? I doubt it. Sometimes people fall asleep on datelines in times of high stress because your adrenaline crashes and you actually do fall asleep. Not when your job isn't done yet. That's true. So they bring up in the trial that he sets this alarm on his phone to the Top Gun theme song. And they show Kit when he hears them say this and he rolls his eyes, which is very funny. Which Top Gun theme song? I think it's Danger Zone. But is it Danger Zone or is it? I think there might be a theme in Top Gun. Yeah, there might just be like an an instrumental theme. So I think that they're reading a little bit too much into that. Well, I had was wondering if the tech people could show if that was his standard ringtone, like his default ringtone, because I have Taylor Swift songs set as my default. So if I just create a new alarm, it would create one with the Taylor Swift song. I don't even know how to do that. So you're one up on me. So I don't know if that was his default or if he specifically set this one ten a.m. alarm danger zone. But also, why not? He's a pilot. Yeah, but it's also like I murdered someone. I'm really cool. Like, yeah, mate. Okay. It's like the people on Dateline who sing karaoke and they sing like I loved her and then I had to kill her or whatever that song is. Yeah. Or take my breath away. Okay, that's it. All right. Very poor taste. So. Kit says, my home cameras show that I never left that night. The camera covers the back door and the back door is the only accessible door in Kit's house. The front door of Kit's house is boarded shut for some reason. Why? He, we do not know why. It's because of ghosts. Ghosts. It's ghosts. The prosecutor says, there's nothing wrong with the front door. There are no nails in that door. He totally could have left that door. I would have liked to see pictures of that door. Is it actually boarded up? But the other point that they don't show, but I'm sure they brought up in trial, is that Laura, the fiance, says he was home at night with him, with her all night. Do we believe Laura? We don't know. Well, that's right. Also, Laura's coming and going this whole time. So she's not like, why do you keep going out? Right. So there's a guy, James, in a blue Jeep. He's a witness. 
He was driving uh, near these fields a few days before the murders. And he sees Kit near this coming out of the brush or whatever in, I don't think that's the right, is coming out of the fields. It seemed like he was coming out of the Kitters. Yeah. He was he was coming out of the skitters in a rut. <laughs> so he sees Kit coming out, thinks it's kind of weird because this is the middle of nowhere in the outskirts of town. Why is this Kitter in this rut? So <laughs> days later, this is where the burned bodies in the car were. Ugh. So it's almost like he was scouting a spot. That's what this guy thinks because he saw him there. Why was he there? So... Why were Kit's dog tags found up high on a shelf at Cal's house next to Cal's wallet unless he did it? And the shell casings that Diana found, an expert says it was shot by Kit's pistol. So now it's the defense's turn and Kit is going to take the stand in his own defense. Oh boy. Keith says, good idea. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. So Kit says, I didn't murder them. And I didn't hire anyone to murder them because that's another thing we have to think about. Could someone have hired someone to do this? Although the beating of Cal's face seems much more personal than just the shooting. I'm so glad you brought that up because they do not bring this up in trial. And I feel like it's incredibly important. Yeah. And I would like more information and specifics on the weapon used on that. Yeah. So... Kit says, I didn't murder them. I didn't hire anyone. He says, Joan framed me. When I left her, when we were separating, she told me she was going to ruin my life. And she did. The defense says, Joan has access to everything in the house. She has access to the dog tags. Also, why would you, Kit, leave your dog tags at the scene of a murder that you committed? Why would you be that stupid? And Kit says, yeah, that's logical. Uh, It's very sarcastic. You're not supposed to be sarcastic on the stand, but I understand the temptation, Kit. I see you. I might do the same thing. It is absolutely, completely illogical. Right. Like, why would you leave them there? Unless, like, maybe you were right. They were pulled off and thrown up. But you would feel if your dog tags were thrown off, pulled off your neck. But this next part made me throw my pen in the air. Right. So Kit says... Get ready for another OMG. Kit says the dog tags aren't even mine. They're fake. So first of all, they're on a white string, which no one puts dog tags on a white string. Right. And then they say Martin, comma, Kit, instead of Martin, comma, Christian, which is his real name, his Christian name, and which the army would put on his dog tags. He also said it would say Martin, comma, Christian R. Christian R, his middle initial. And I have seen dog tags in my house and he is not wrong. They have a middle initial. Yeah. It is your entire name. Therefore, they're an identifying tag. Right. It would not have your nickname. Yeah. Mine would say not Katie. Kidders. Mine would say Kidders which is my Christian name. Christian biblical name. So did Joan get fake dog tags made up to frame him? It certainly seems that way. This is crazy. 
So the defense attorney says there's a reason the police didn't find the shell casing when they searched the house. It wasn't that they did a horrible job searching the house and did it way too fast. It was planted there afterwards by Joan because she realizes Kit is not being arrested fast enough. So she goes back to the house to plant more evidence. And she had access to Kit's gun because he kept it in his trunk, sorry, in his truck, and she had keys to his truck. So she planted evidence. Kit says the 1 a.m. alarm was set to check on a new kerosene heater. He wanted to check on it for safety because of the wick or something, something with wicks. It sounded great. It sounded logical. It sounded logical, but the word kerosene sounded bad. Because the car was doused in kerosene when it was set on fire. But everyone that lives in a big house like that has access to kerosene, I feel like. But the dog tags got me. Yeah. So the defense says, why would Joan have Pam's phone that she brought to the cell phone store? And the defense wants to question Joan and put her on the stand. But she evokes, invokes her Fifth Amendment right to incriminate herself, not to incriminate herself. That's very important. And I love it that they said that. Keith says it. And he says she exercised her Fifth Amendment right not to incriminate herself. And I was like, oh. Yep. She just doesn't show up, which doesn't look good. And the jury, of course, is dying to hear answers from her because the whole defense's theory is that it was her, that she was the murderer. And they want to hear from her and she just doesn't show up. She says no, because no, I'm not going to answer those questions. I'm disengaging. So the defense attorney has a huge legal pad the size of a movie poster on an easel. And it says planted evidence, desperate evidence, no evidence. Wow. Which is very good. And the rule of three. Oh, there you go. And on a legal pad. So it's official. Uh Uh-huh. So there's no reason to silence Cal, Kit says, because he was going to testify for me. He was going against Joan. Yeah, he really seems to believe that. Yeah, he was turned. He was turning on Joan. He, I wanted him to testify on my behalf in the trial, in the court martial. And Kit tells Keith, people don't usually kill their star witness. And Keith is getting really amped up. And he says, most people did not think he was your star witness. He was going to take you down. And Kit says, he was going to take you down, downtown. So Kit says, listen to the tape. He was going to blow that trial apart. I needed him to testify. And Keith says, well, that's what you believe anyway. Oh, Keith used my line. Well, that's what I believe. Walk off stage. (laughs) That's what I believe. But the thing is, it only matters what Kit believes is if he had a motive or not. So it's whatever he believed. If he believed, Keith is kind of dismissive, like, well, you thought that. But that's the whole point. If he did think that, then he had no motive to kill Cal. So it does matter exactly what Kit thought, what he believed. You're arguing with Keith, though, and I don't appreciate that. So No, I don't like, I would never. I'm going to tell him. Okay, I'm going to tweet him myself. (laughs) Kidder's Twitters. (laughs) Cal's sister Diana says, absolutely no way was Calvin going to testify for Kit. No way. But here's my question. It was only a couple weeks 
from the time Cal heard from the private investigator, Mary, that Joan was married, bigamist, using men, maybe that planted a seed and he was pondering and then he was murdered and he never had a chance to tell Diana that he was flipping on Joan. So is that possible? Because she seems certain that her brother was not going to testify for Kit, that he was testifying against Kit. But had she really talked about it with him before he was murdered, it was only a couple weeks. How often did they talk? And was the sister sort of disgusted by the Joan situation? So Cal just kind of dropped it, left it alone. And it wasn't something that they did not talk about that. It was not discussed. Exactly. I would like to know more. Okay, me too. So the reporter says, we didn't know what the jury would say. It could go either way. Kit tells Keith he was confident he was going home. Even the guards were telling him, this is in the bag, you're going home. So the jury is now ready. And Kit is telling us, you know, you put your shoes on, you put your belt on, they get you all cuffed up. You go to the, you know, you go back to the courtroom. And I was like, Dateline, let us get to the verdict already. Why are you doing this to us, Kit? It's like those juries the judges that give like 45 minute decisions. What did you think at this point, though? What did you think? What did you think the jury was going to do? Because they built it up so much that he was going home. I figured he was guilty. Me too. But I was also sort of surprised. Yeah. So he's found guilty. And a woman behind him, her mouth drops open like a fish. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. I think she's a reporter because she immediately closes her mouth and starts making notes. So, but for, but she couldn't contain her professional. She couldn't be professional in that moment. Her mouth drops open. She was shocked. I understand. So Kit was stunned and he's, this is where the tides turned in my eyes for Kit. So sort of on Kit's side, the next part kind of rubbed me the wrong way. He says, Apparently, everyone on TV was stunned, too. You know, people are writing me all the time saying they cried all night long. And I've got thousands of new supporters out there that I want to say thank you to. Like he's giving an Oscar speech. And that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But this is also where we see their supporters. But there's only like four and not thousands. Um, Did you notice who they were? They're all women. They are all blonde women. They're all women, blonde women. They're all perky blonde women. They have free Kit Martin buttons and shirts and signs. They like his big daddy energy. And it's it reminded me of those girls that loved Ryan in the bathtub mystery. It reminded me exactly of that. Who are these women? I don't know. They probably support veterans and army people, which I totally support. It's an army town and they probably felt like he was wrongfully accused and deserved better and stuff, even though, again, he had been court-martialed and charged with all this stuff betraying the army, but whatever. That's a nice way to say that. So Keith, this part made me whole flip a script again because Keith lets his feelings known. At least in my opinion, that is what he is doing. I agree. It appears that he does not believe Kit and thinks that he is guilty and does not like Kit. 
or thinks Kit has an attitude. And I don't know if Keith would ever say he was sure he was guilty. I don't know. No, I mean, the Dateline reporters are very clear to not say what side they're on, but sometimes you can get a feel for it. And this part gave it away. You do get a feel that he's not a fan. Yeah. So Keith says to Kit, a jury will look at someone who's like, everyone is doing this to me and they're doing this and they're doing that. And I didn't do anything wrong. I'm as pure as the driven snow. And the average observer will say, this guy's full of hope. But he says the shh word. It's amazing. It's a season premiere. It's a season premiere. They saved this episode because of that word. That word gave us this episode. It's an extremely rare curse word. I think those are on our extreme bingo cards. We haven't heard Keith cuss since I don't give a sweet flying F. Amazing. Just amazing. So that I was sort of leaning towards Joan is the guilty one and Kit is framed. But then Keith is my North Star. If Keith thinks that he is guilty and he knows more about this case than we do, I kind of want to lean towards, yeah, he's guilty. You want to lean towards Keith? I want to lean towards it. This is one of those instances when I am in complete agreement with you. Wow. I love that. I also completely thought that Joan did it. The dog tags got me. And then this end part, I was like, well, I'm flipping again. Yeah. Because Keith doesn't think he thinks he did it. Right. And like very clearly thinks he did it. Right. And so much that he's cursing at him. Jo- oh. Joan made no public comments about any of this. She's kept her mouth shut. She turned down Dateline's request. Which again makes me like super in a in Kimberly's word sus. I don't it really looks bad to me. I hate to say it, but I it looks bad. I mean, maybe are we supposed to respect that she doesn't want 15 minutes of fame? Doesn't want to meet Keith Morrison? That just makes you crazy in my mind. Because, no, if she had gone to trial, yes. If she had gone to trial and not pleaded the fifth that it might incriminate her, if she had gone to trial, done the whole thing, and then refused Dateline because she didn't want to keep talking about or bringing it up and wanted to move on with her life, that's something else. I could respect that. Yeah. But this is like, I shall not speak of this. Yeah. So we never know. Yeah. It's very strange. Should we contact that reporter? Yeah. I've been talking about how dapper he was. I would like to see what he thinks. Honestly, I want to know what, do you think he did it? Because he said before the jury came out, he did not know which way it was going to go. So what did he think? I would like to know what he thought. Would you guys be interested if we could contact him and get him to speak with us? Would you guys be interested in that? Because I would love that. I'll find him on Twitter. I could just drive to Kentucky. Okay, you could do that too. So he's in Nashville, actually. He's a Nashville reporter. Ooh, we go to Nashville. Yeah. So Sally and Diana and Matt feel like they have justice, but it doesn't bring back their loved ones. And now they feel kind of lost because before they were had all this energy to put into fighting for justice. And now they don't have that distraction of fighting for justice. So oh, it's it's rough. I feel really bad for her because I, I feel what she's saying. And basically what she's saying is. I didn't have to fully grieve. Right. Because I could pour all of my energy into this cause, right? And now the cause is done. Yeah. I'm alone with just my grief. Yeah. Girl, I see you. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. It's horrible. Matt owns the house now, which is nice. 
Keith says in Little Pembroke, children will learn the story of Ed, Cal, and Pam and the major across the street. And I was like, don't tell this story to children. You have a burned up car with bodies in it. I don't like this. No. Also, where was the dog? There were multiple dogs. The German Shepherds? Oh, Marlene took those dogs. Were they all outside? Did they bark? No, Marlene took those dogs. Did some, they weren't hurt. Where were they at the time of the murder? I think that they have a big property. I think they were probably kept in kennels. It looked like the picture that we see there by a kennel. Okay. But I'm sure Marlene took them. The German Shepherds? I think that one dog that was ill is probably no longer with us. And that makes me very sad. I do love a German Shepherd. Not as sad as it. This murder seemed like there were some really unnecessary murders here. Collateral damage. But we don't understand why still. This is a very frustrating case, as in I don't understand the timeline and I don't understand why really, I guess I understand why he would have murdered Cal. I have absolutely no idea why Pam and the neighbor also had to die. Also, did we ever get the ballistics back on the bodies? Were there how they died? They were shot. They were both shot. Yes. Now, Joan, I do not believe could have carried two dead bodies, including a man, into a car. I'm sorry. There, under no circumstances, Joan did not have help. That's what I'm saying. Also, Joan seems to travel with an entourage because I don't know if you saw the video in the store when she has six people around her. Well, some of them were her children. How big are her children? I don't know. They look like adults. Well, one of them was a teenager, at least. I know the son was like a teenager, I think. Oh, I don't know who all those people were. They all came in together. It's like a gaggle. It was seriously like entourage. That's her next man. I don't know. She's moved on to her next man. You guys let us know what you think. Did any, what do people think on Twitter? I don't know. I think they were as confused as I was. Okay. Some people said they did not necessarily think the verdict was, they had enough. Like there was doubt. Would you? Would you have had doubt? We didn't hear the whole trial, though. Much. I have much doubt. Yeah, me too. This episode, very special 30th episode, 30th anniversary, dedicated to Star, which is a nickname. That's not her real name. From Minnesota. Oh, sure. Jenny from Wisconsin. Oh, boy. So Kimberly gets to pull out her accent. Oh, gosh. You guys, gals, I would love to bring you some bars. I, I think my Southern accents were real bad this time. So I'm at least able to lean into my Midwestern roots. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love you both. You are my people, my roots, my roots, as my mom says, as Joni says. And we thank you for being Patreons because we couldn't have done it without you. I think you're mighty fine. <laughs> I love you both. Be your own bars. Uh, Be your own hot dish. (laughs) You guys are a couple of hot dishes. Thank you so (laughs) much for supporting us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, ladies. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Be your own B-roll. What do you have? Matt climbing up a ladder. Yeah. Danger. Sweeping off a porch. Marlene sitting on a porch next to a bottle of Raid. 
What is happening there? Marlene is gets one of those like slider chairs. She's sort of rocking it on the porch, which I just found one at the Salvation Army for my mom to sit out front and keep an eye on the teenagers. You can't even <laughs> go out there. There's so many now. They've, they're multiplying. But anyways, but also she's drinking a little something. And I was like, and I wrote coffee and immediately I wrote and whiskey. Yeah, oh, for sure. I hope she's putting a little nip in her coffee. I hope she's got a big old bottle of Bailey's in the back. Why does she have a bottle of Raid next to her? For the mosquitoes? Is it a secret liquor? She like unscrews it and it's her little flask. That'd be amazing. That grosses me out. I feel like you're getting poisoned. No, yeah, Skeeters. Come on. It's Kentucky. Skeeters. Diana sweeping a porch. Slow-mo of a broom sweeping. So much sweeping. We see a photo of Cal dressed as a red m M&M. and It's pretty cute. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, because he was described as being really boisterous. Did you see Ed, the neighbor, on the piano? Yeah. He reminded me so much of our friend's dad. Yeah, totally. Our very good friend, Steph, her, her dad looks similar when he plays the piano. It's when people get really into it. I've also decided that I just like pianists. I think they're good people. Yeah, I think so, too. That's fair. So strange photo of Joan in a white metal chair slash torture It's like you're getting an x-ray at the dentist or an MRI. No, I think it's a space thing. Where's NASA? Isn't NASA's in, where's space camp? Isn't space camp in Alabama? Florida. Looks like a a NASA chair, like a space chair. That's possible. To me, it looked like she was getting an MRI or she was riding like a Captain EO type ride at Disneyland. At space camp. Maybe it's face camp. Maybe at Epcot. It has caution stickers on it and it's all metal. So private investigators B-roll is writing feverishly on a yellow pad and the wallpaper on her computer is like a beautiful watery scenery. And she has very colorful flowery mouse pad with a gun. uh, Yeah, with a gun just sitting right on it. It's the most beautiful shot. It's like all flowers and peaceful. We see all this nice stuff and then it just zooms out and she's got a gun right next to her. Right next to her on the desk. But then we we haven't found out that she's a private investigator yet. That's like her introduction. <laughs> that was expertly done, Dateline. I thought that was some spectacular B-roll. Also, really quick, we see so much of the house yeah. empty. It's very cool, but it's got a lot of doors. It's like your house, haunted. Yeah. Too many doors. It's just them in that house, right? Well, I think Matt grew up in that house. But yeah, now it's just the parents, I think. But there were just three people. That house had to be like six bedrooms. Yeah. That means other people are. (laughs) (laughs) That's like some of those doors that I don't open. You've got moaning Myrtle in the bathroom. Because whatever is behind them needs to stay behind them. And the Victorian doll ghost, of course, is in the attic. So. Oh, God, no one goes. And also the cellar was particularly scary. Yeah. Let me just, can I just, regardless. But like that house will never sell, right? No, it's a beautiful house and not everyone believes in ghosts. I'm sorry, someone recently murdered now. Three people, actually. Correct. This is what I'm trying to say. Matt is going to keep it, I'm sure, for a long while. 
You know what? You could also turn it into something else. You could. That's a beautiful house for like a B and B. Yeah, on Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. For what about a, a like? If you have so many bedrooms, I don't know. I'm sure he's thinking about it. Also, he was very lovely. Yes. Matt and Diane were like such a cute team, and I'm just so grateful they have each other. Yeah. Absolutely. To lean on, they seem like they're very close. Did you see the Amish crossing sign? No, but I saw the horse and buggy B-roll. Oh, before that, they showed the like little zing. There you go. And it's got the horse and buggy zing. Yeah. And then we saw the horse and buggy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fashion police. Sure. Diana, Cal's sister, psychedelic patterned dress. I love it. She did great. And a bump it in her hair. I loved it. She did not come to play on Dateline. Like she was like, I hear the assignment. I'm dressing up for Dateline. She did great. She looked yeah. fantastic. Kit in the army photo with his unfortunate, what's that called that we called that? That short men bangs. Frange? Yeah, I don't like that. Was it called Frange? Bings? Uh, I don't know. We called it something when the guys have little short bangs. Yeah. And then a mustache. So it was the combo of the two that was like, oh, well, though I don't know how those lips decreased over the years. Just less chapped. They were huge. Yeah, your lips get smaller as you get older. Did you not? Did no one tell you that? No, they didn't. Yeah, it's really unpleasant. Your nose gets bigger, your ears get bigger, and your mouth, your lips get smaller. Aging is a cruel joke. It's just, we're going to just take all the things you liked about your face and tweak it. <laughs> Marlene is in bright pink orange. I'm sorry, bright orange. I don't know what pink orange is. Coral is pink orange. Okay, there you go. She was in very bright. Also, when Matt and Diana take Keith through a tour of the house, he's wearing a polo and jeans and his converse. So love it. That's his classic. We love that so much. Do you have any titles? Mine are so bad. I do. I think I think I mentioned all mine through the episode, but that's okay. What you got? They're so bad. Mine aren't great. I have had a long week. Secrets, secrets in service. Oh, that's great. Trying to go service men something. I like that. Joan of darkness. I don't I don't know what that means. Oh, okay, okay. Here's where I got really tired. If the dog tags don't bark, you must a, a quirk. And then I laughed hysterically. <laughs> no. Here's the deal. I <laughs> I don't do this often, but sometimes I do with when you keep reusing the same title. That's time number three. So <laughs> that's the third strike. Third strike, I'm out. I know you keep thinking that I won't notice if you just slightly change it. I guess that's your prerogative. But I had one that was so good, right? Did I not have one a few weeks ago that was so good. Even Joni texted me. But the shocking thing is, is that you keep trying to use it. So it's diminishing that one. Stop using it. Okay. I have one more. The woman who didn't enter the Marlene, the neighbor story. Oh, that's good. She deserved her own spinoff. She really does. I would like to also have an interview with Marlene. Yeah. Although she's not going to talk to us. We're not Keith Morrison. She doesn't know what a podcast is. She, de she definitely knows what a podcast is, but she is suspicious of us. <laughs> Totes sus. You may have accused her of being in on it. So that probably did it. No, just on accident. It came about while I was discussing. Marlene, I don't think you had anything to do with this. I think you're a lovely person. You had nothing to do with this. 
Can I send you a bottle of whiskey? Okay, here we go. I had Danger Zone, which I said 40 times, so it doesn't count. I had Kidder's Last Stand because she was on the stand. (laughs) That's good. That's very good. Army, it's great. This is worse. I had Dog Tag. You're it. Uh, See, my Dog Tag one was bad too. So does that make, (laughs) does that help? Yeah, that makes me feel better. It wasn't as bad as a a quark. (laughs) Oh boy. And then I had, here we go. A very elaborate kill kit. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I got there. Yeah, you got there. Thank you, everybody. Uh, I'll try to do Twitter next week. I just did not really have time. Kimberly's had a long week and she's been very busy and I think she did a great job. We also have to get back in the swing of doing two-hour recaps. So next week we'll do Twitter. Thank you, everybody. Follow us on social media. Check out our Patreon and be your own seafaring ghost <laughs> yo oh yo anyways no just be suspicious of houses with houses with lots of doors and cellars and attics and let us know what you thought and don't forget if the dog tag works you must a quark <laughs> if we just keep repeating it it'll work bye, bye everybody. everybody stay fresh cheese bags <laughs> Ha 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 